Welcome to View from the C-Suite, where we have candid conversations with female executives about key business challenges, career advice, and more. This series is brought to you by Wong Duty, the Global Experience and Design Unit for Infosys. I'm Skylar Matson, your host and president of Wong Duty. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our global audience. Welcome to the third episode of View from the C-Suite, Women Leaders in Conversation. I'm Skylar Matson, president of Wong Duty, the global experience and design platform for Infosys. For all of you joining, we invite you to participate in this conversation. And there's a couple ways you can do so. Uh, the first is via Twitter. See if you can see this. If you use this hashtag, Women Empower, we'll be able to comment on your posts, locate them and comment on them. The second is through the Q&A feature right here in Zoom. So we're going to have a conversation for about 30 minutes. We're going to leave about 15 for Q&A. So go ahead and type away. Our topic today is harnessing purpose to drive innovation. And innovation is such a broad topic as we were thinking about this episode. And as I was getting to know our amazing guests, each of them brought up purpose and values as key drivers in their leadership styles, how they motivate their teams, in their career decisions. Their stories are going to give you practical ways to harness the knowledge and the energy of your colleagues and your customers to drive more innovative thinking. So let me introduce you to these phenomenal women. The first is Fumbi Chima, CIO of Boeing Employee Credit Union, where she oversees technology strategy and operations. Uh, Fumbi's led digital transformation at so many amazing global companies, Adidas, Walmart, American Express, she serves on several global boards and has an amazing multicultural perspective. Fumbi was born in Nigeria, raised in the UK, graduated from Harvard Business School, no big deal, and will soon be making her way to Seattle. Fumbi, thank you so much for being here. It is an honor to be here, so thank you. I also welcome Diane Schwartz, CIO of Johnson Controls, where she's leading the enterprise-wide IT strategy. Diane has over 20 years of experience leading best-in-class IT teams built on her impressive and very well-rounded background. She was an engineer as an undergrad, has her MBA from University of Chicago, and has also served as a consultant, this amazing mix of, of tech and business. And these experiences have led her to some great business strategies that have been featured more than once in Forbes. And I'm excited that she's going to be sharing some of them with you today. So good to have you, Diane. Thanks. Happy to be here. So in preparing for today's episode, I've been thinking about innovation here at Wong Duty. And one of the things that drives it is our value, the democracy of good ideas. And this simply means a good idea can come from anyone. And we intentionally create an environment that enables that to happen. Uh, one of the innovations that I'm most proud of is something called the sounding board. It's a product that allows us to get insights from custom digital communities that we build based on a customer's need. Uh, this was the qualitative research that we used to get from other vendors that we had to outsource. Um, the idea to build this product came from one of our employees, Kinley LaGrange. She saw the current way we were doing things and she brought forward something much better. 
the democracy of good ideas, our, our accepted and our expected way of working helped propel this idea. And there are a few tenets of the democracy of good ideas that I think can drive innovation at any company. Um, the first is give everyone a seat at the table and not just a seat, but the space to share their ideas. Uh, the second is recognize the people whose ideas are used. Name them. Go Kinley. Like you did this. And three, welcome and encourage ongoing feedback from each other and even from our clients. I mean, they can have good ideas too. That's how ideas are improved. So with that, I want to kick it to Diane. We know that innovation can't just come from leadership. It can't just come from the C-suite. I mean, in many ways, our teams are closer to the work and even, even more positioned to come up with new ways of working. How have you encouraged innovation from your team? Sure. I'd actually like to give an example from Hunt, where I most recently came from, one of the largest um, family-run enterprises in, in the U.S., um, real estate, oil, gas, energy. So there we put together an innovation framework, much like what you said, Skylar, listen, get ideas, sponsor, provide resourcing, mm. and decide when you do and you don't do something. So we created forums where anyone was welcome to attend. They could enter things online. We had a portal where they could voice something in the meeting. And there were a number of senior leaders, uh, including myself, that loved to attend these sessions because we are so energized and excited about what we hear. But we, what we found was sometimes just our presence or our title could actually be a little intimidating or overwhelming. And the teams had far more um, ideas expressed when we weren't in the room. So it's an interesting learning for us to step back, really empower the teams and get excited later and honor them and give them all the credibility. But Sometimes it's not actually our role to be so close to where the action is and let the action happen at the edge. And it can maybe happen faster as long as the teams are empowered and resourced. That's interesting. I never thought about leadership, perhaps, I don't want to say getting in the way, but perhaps creating an environment where ideas couldn't flow as easily or people are holding back and maybe don't feel as comfortable just sort of throwing anything out there with, you know, fear of being judged. Uh, not that we would ever do that as leaders, but um, that's an interesting perspective to bring up. So you found that your teams did better when leadership wasn't there. And then did you have a framework for how they'd present ideas to you? And how did you decide how you were going to move forward with things? So we really empowered the team I, I always tell my team, I'm terrible at being an individual contributor. So what we did is we created innovation advocates. So we had one from engineering and one from IT and one from a couple of other departments. And we empowered them to make those decisions. Of course, it was going to require too much money um, or if it was going to be too politically sensitive. Right. That was when we talked offline. But we really let the next couple of layers down, run with that. 
that's where the framework was important for us to say, here's what you can and should do. And here's what I don't need to do. Mm-hmm. So there was a bit of when we had this fully formed, integrated cross-functional team, they were good at governing each other about not letting things move forward that really shouldn't move forward. So we didn't have to over-administer it or over-govern it. And is there an over- I think, And I think that's where the key is, right, Diane? I think it's, you know, when, you, when you're trying to think innovative, I think sometimes when we put parameters around innovation, we stifle it. Right. And I think that's really it's a great example where you said, OK, let's just take, let's let's take a step back and let the, the real thinkers come about those solutioning. And and actually, there's an element of feeling too very empowered. I mean, imagine if I just equated back to my first management role when my leader said, no, you make that decision. I felt really like, oh, my God, I, I can actually make that decision without going back to, you know, revalidate or ask for permission, you know, that, that allowed me to go even beyond, right, where I wanted to. So I think that's where we need to balance. And it sounds like, you know, phenomenal example, um, which, you know, we all have to remind ourselves on is that as leaders, we think we're helping, but sometimes we're actually preventing with that piece. And then the other piece that we need to be careful of is we talk about innovation, then we put parameters around it. Well, it's got to do this, it's got to do that. It's like, how much of that are you stifling? So I, I love that example of let's take a step back, let them do it and come back and tell us where those best solutions are because, you know, enriching them is phenomenal. One of the things we even did was to define what innovation was to us. And what we said is if it's new to what we are doing, we're going to call it innovation. I'll give you an example. RPA. RPA is no longer new or innovative but we weren't applying it across much of the business at the time that we had this framework. So we said, let's count it. It's new to us. It's an improvement to us. We're innovating how we do work. And that's all that really matters is, is how is innovation within our horizon? It didn't really matter for our purposes if it was innovative in the external market, because that wasn't where we were playing, right? We had our guidelines as that this particular group was going to be focused on internal operations and not on new business models. That's a good point because I think sometimes you hear innovation and it needs to be really big and it needs to be really sexy and innovation is a new way of working. And sometimes innovations that make the way a team works more efficient can be great in the grander scheme of things. And I I think you brought up a really important point about defining what it means for your company. And you've both touched on what I think are bigger company values that probably guided the process that you had. And I hear empowerment a lot. And I'm wondering if you felt like that was sort of an overarching company way of working where we empower people to make their own decisions. We empower people to come up with new ideas that we can then bring forward. Like, did that feel like it was sort of part of the larger culture and not just the way we handled coming up with new ideas? So at Hunt specifically, two company values were respect for the individual in humility, which is putting others, uh, honoring others' ideas in front of yours. And so, yes, I do think that that was um, really critical to how we were able to foster the fundamentals of the innovation team. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I mean, I think um, even in my current role, you know, we have a slogan, you know, 
part of the core values if you own it, right? You can only own something that you feel responsible and accountable for. And so, you know, I think I think every organization has an element of empowerment. You know, I think it's how how you know. I think you said it um, very eloquently, Diane. Is like it's what it means to you as your organization, you know, within your entity, and that means something slightly different for everybody. But ultimately, it's an element, even to the you know to the lowest level of how do you allow them to feel part. Mm-hmm of the of the greater being right or the greater community and i think as leaders we have to continually strive for that and we have to make sure that we let our teams know that we trust them enough right to make decisions i mean you can trust them to come to work every day surely you can trust them to make some decisions and i think many times we we um, need to let go of that and i think sometimes we don't let go of it because of our own insecurities, right? But that stifles the growth and the potential of where that individual and the company is going to go as well. Indeed. I mean, that's a motivator, right? If everybody feels like they get to contribute, they're expected to contribute, you feel like you're part of something bigger. And as leaders to be consistent in that promotion and consistent in creating an environment where that can happen, I mean, that's really... That's really the key. I do want to shift and, and talk a little bit about leadership's role, although I, I'm loving this takeaway that leadership empower, <laughs> give your team the room to come up with their ideas. But thinking of leadership, you know, Fumbi, your career path is really interesting. And as we were chatting before this, you shared that your latest shift to Boeing Employee Credit Union was really driven by your desire to work for a purpose-driven company. And I'd love to hear more about that. And I'm wondering if if companies that are more purpose-driven, if even their approach to innovation is guided by that, by that grander purpose. Yeah, I mean, it's an excellent question. I think, you know, um, so people make decisions for a variety of reasons. And I think a lot of mine was really more about legacy and, you know, I have a you know, beautiful um, two girls and that I think that you know they they hold me every day and I it makes me want to even do more than I've done before and I've been you know grateful um, and lucky to work for amazing companies with great brands but it touches a point in your life to say okay that and then what right and I think the value for me is about how much do I, how do I continue want to make an impact to the community in a meaningful way around, well, in this case, financial health, right? Um, to not just the community, but also the banked and unbanked, right? So that extends that reach um, in, in ways where we probably haven't done before. And I think when you ask that question around innovation and what does it mean, I think it, you know, when you ask about people and why they work for the ECU is basically because of exactly that. They allow me to be who I am. They allow me to try and grow and, you know, build beyond my own imagination. And I think that's the art of innovation. Um, and we don't put boundaries around here is where you need to be. It's like when you see it, if it's right, own it, right? And if you can own it, you drive it through. And I think that's what's fun that legacy and kind of grown beyond and being part of that is a lot more fulfilling 
right? Not that other companies have not, but there's an element of special fulfillment for me as a personal driver, as an initiative to, to help make that difference. And then bringing, you know, I think the icing on the cake, I always tell people I have the best job, right? Because the icing on the cake is I'm working for a company that allows me to provide that value and but also contribute from a technology standpoint. So it's like, you know, how can you have both cake and eat it? But it's phenomenal. I'm, I'm glad you've ended up there and you made it happen, right? I mean, you knew what you I wanted. I did. It was very intentional. You were very... <laughs> You were very intentional. We'll get to more of that as we we pivot into career advice in a few minutes. But Diane, I do want to give you a minute to talk about something I read about in Forbes, where you use sound bites to help drive innovation through your teams. Because I think this is this is a tactic we can all kind of grab onto and consider if it would work at our own companies. So I tell my team, here's a sound bite. Words matter. And not just my team, my family. (laughs) Use your words. Have we ever said that? But we can remember the taglines. If you have a company strategy or if you have an innovation purpose that's more more than a dozen words or even a dozen words, who's really going to remember that? So you want something that we can always quickly grasp. So we want to inspire our teams. And I think the simplicity in those messages helps them ingest it, right? It's like planting seeds and you know that those seeds can actually sprout because they're they're simple enough to take root. So my my, um, branding for this week is uh, sweeping for nickels. (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> the, our, 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 our CFO has the margin expansion program <laughs> and yes, we, we are working on um, having some improvement in our cost management and we've had lots of cost management programs over the years, intentionally so, but we've grown through acquisition. We grew through a major merger. I've got Uh, many more dozens of ERPs than I even want to count. So I know, I know there is spend out there that we maybe aren't managing as well as we should. Is it hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars? It's not. But think about how much profit it takes to install a piece of equipment or service a piece of equipment to actually pay for that invoice. So I think there's lots of opportunities there. My teams aren't going to remember all of those things I just told you, but sweeping for nickels, they'll remember. So I'm, I'm pinning the note on, you know, remember when you're in kindergarten, did you get the, the teacher pinning the note on you so you don't forget to tell your parent? <laughs> <laughs> this is my virtual verbal way of pinning the note so people can remember it. Right. People need reminders and people like stories. And sound bites. I mean, making things more fun, uh, more memorable. I mean, we do this at Wong Duty. We were were founded as a marketing company. Tracy Wong names everything. You know, we're not going to do a pro bono thing for this big client. We're going to do a push project. We talk about push projects, and I think it also creates camaraderie around teams when you have, you know, you've named this thing. You're all using the same language around it. You can all get motivated around it. You can all remember it in its in its simplest form. Um, I, I do want to talk about like 
humans and the humans at the center of things. We call ourselves a human experience company because we try to understand a human problem that any experience or any innovation is trying to solve. Fumbi, you're in, in finance management. I mean, we know that if we're doing work for a bank, it's not about people going in to check their balance or get money from the ATM. It's about planning for my child to go to college or planning for my own retirement. I mean, there's there's something so much more meaningful when you think about the human at the center of things. And I'm wondering if there have been specific innovation initiatives that were really like customer focused, like Fumbi at Adidas or or Walmart. Like were there were there initiatives where you were putting the human at the center and did you approach those differently? Yeah, I mean, I I think the, and I'm not sure there's any industry or any company at this point that will not put humans at the center of what they need to do, right? And whether we call them customers or members or employees or whatever, you know, there is somebody else that is a recipient of those products or services that we, we put in. So I think the world has changed. I think, you know, I think the world has changed drastically a whole lot more than even 15 years ago because our job in IT was almost just build it and then there's somebody else in there that helps you with the, you know, the UI and the experimental piece. But I think when we go back, um, the way the value um, has now, the, you know, the, the, the business value that's kind of evolved over the last few years, it's, you got to build so that you can touch that last customer that last person that touches that product and so for me as a leader and for me as an organization I start with that first right what what does the customer want and then how do I then go backtrack into understanding of how do I deliver it right for them and obviously you know in our cases it's systematic around that point but it's always putting them first understanding them, sitting in their shoes, understanding their challenges, um, and then going backwards. And I think the biggest learning um, that I learned, you know, when I first, I was in financial services for a very, very long time. And yes, we, we knew who our customers were, but we can touch and feel them. So we just anticipated through logic and predictive analytics and data to say, okay, this is what we think the data is telling us of what we want. So having a phenomenal experience of now being a retailer and actually going into the stores and experiencing and going through that element and being that customer, right? And go, oh my God, this is this sucks. Like, really? Is this what they go through? And understanding. And then once you once you have that experience, you've gained that experience, I would tell you, you can never go back. Because in any other roles that you take on, you always look at it from that side, but because it's a, it's a valuable skill to saying, wow, if I was the customer, here is what my expectation is, and then how to move up backwards. And I think the element of a digital transformation or whatever we want to call it, because I think it's an overused term, as Diane probably like, don't use the word digital anymore. That thing that we do just to want to be closer to our, our customer, it's, it's imperative. And I think it's helping us change how we think. You know, um, and it's actually elevating to some larger extent the role of technology. I didn't say IT, I said the role of technology in helping us to solution that. It seems so. so a technique that I like to use, Fumbi, is to personalize the persona for my teams. Um, I will say, for example, 
if you go home for a holiday and if you have your aunt corner you and say, this, this printer over here, I can't get it to work. Or how do I, how do I get the Snapchat thing on my phone? (laughs) (laughs) These are our users. These are our customers. These are our stakeholders. This technology thing is a mystery to, you know, great Isabel. So let's take away the mystery for all of these stakeholders. Just, just as you would honor that relative at the holiday, we need to take that same kind of, of servant leadership out to everyone that we serve. Exactly. I'm keeping an eye on the clock here because I know our viewers love to get career advice and they'd love to hear a little bit more about your personal journeys and, you know, in retrospect, what would you have done differently or what were the lessons you've learned? So I'd love to close out before we go into Q&A with, for those who are early in their careers and they are aspiring to be in the C-suite one day, what advice do you have for them? Fumbi? Um, Several. I, I, one that resonated with me, actually, um, I think we were talking about it a few weeks, so I'm going to steal Diane's thunder before she says it. Now, hopefully I remember, not imperfect, but, you know, I wouldn't be verbatim to be able to say it as well as you said, but don't be, don't be afraid to ask for help, right? And, and I think the day that you said it, I was like, actually, that's true, because many times, especially, you know, I was looking at it from a gender standpoint, right? We don't want to because we feel like we've got it all, got to take it all on the shoulder. There's still a number of times now that I have to go put my shoulders down because I'm carrying so much. And I, I realize that I have to consciously bring my shoulders down because I'm not asking for the help. Right. And I, I, and I, and I reflected that um, afternoon. So thank you for, for that advice because I'm actually practicing as well. I reflected and go, if I had asked earlier on, where would my journey be? I, I'm totally happy and content and, you know, blessed and, and lucky to be where I am today. But just imagine if we had asked a little bit more, if I knew what I knew now, then, you know, I, I think I would have done a whole lot differently. So I think the biggest advice is to ask for help, but not to be scared to actually ask for the help and tell people where you want to get to. What is your end destination so we can help you? Right. Don't just ask for help. I just want to be. What's your end destination? And be willing to have the ears to hear the advice. Because some of it's going to be hard. Right. Uh, some of it may be things we don't want to hear. <laughs> like, I'm not as good as you really think I should be. You know, feedback is a gift, but we have to be open to it. So those are my, you know, those are my two or three things that I would say um, would be the biggest advice. Ask for help with the intention of, of where you want that help to get you. Yeah. I think that that second part is is such good advice as well. Diane? Yeah, and we are better together, stronger. So have a resilient career. A career is not a ladder up. It's more like that geodesic dome. Take risks, move outside of your area work in marketing or IT or in a startup or in accounting, it makes you such a stronger, better person with um, empathy because you see things from another 
perspective um, makes you mar far more marketable in the end because you show that you are versatile and can do many things. Fantastic. I want to name something here because I think it's important for everybody who's joining us today. You know, we are in the C-suite and we're continuing to learn from each other. Fumbi saying, gosh, Diane, you know, you said this and it was reminding me, you know, to ask for help. And, you know, I'm writing things down. You never really get to a spot where you're like, oh, and now I know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? I wish. <laughs> I mean, luckily we've learned that it's okay to, to admit that because it's going to help us get to where we need to be more quickly. But I, I loved that interaction of, of really all of us sort of nodding and, and, and learning with one another because that, that never really stops. Um, I'm peeking over at, at these, these questions coming in and there are some really great ones. Um, let's see. I want to start with one from Jacqueline. And, um, oh, it's a great question. What are some other examples of how you make your teams know that you trust them to make decisions, right? We've talked about, we're going to empower these teams. How do they know that, that we trust where they're going? Whoever wants to take that one. I, I don't know whether I'd say I trust where they're going. I think the reality is if you trust, right? Trust is a powerful thing. Um, and, and for me, it's demonstrative when I know that they are vulnerable enough to say, if I fail, she's got my back. Right. And I think that's an, an important element because I think sometimes ago, are they doing the right thing? What if they're doing the wrong thing? But it's okay. Right. For me, it's okay to fail. It's, it's okay to make mistakes, but I have to, you know, I've got to be there to support you because we are making that mistakes together. Right. It's not you fail, it's we fail. Okay, then we'll pick up and learn from that. And I think that's the that that's what I always tell people is I always turn it the other way. It's not as always when it's always good to say, Well, we can make great decisions. The challenge is always when they how do they really know you really trust them is in terms of adversity. Right. And I think that's 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 the that's the fundamental. And for me, that's when my team knows it's, I got your back regardless. We're in this together. It's a we, not a you or an I. I think that's important. And how you, you, how you talk, how you behave, you know, your mannerism, it, it, it all matters um, because it's all those unspoken, you know, body language that goes a whole long way. Yep. I, I found that, you know, the fail fast mantra is so important. And if you can, well, if you make a mistake, being able to, to share that with your team. When we started the sounding board, I had an idea for a custom community of farmers and I was like really pushing for this and nobody wanted to buy it. it, it like, we were taking it to market and people were thinking, no, like this is, the farmers aren't going to be on this board because they're in the fields making things happen. And it was a moment for me to say, okay, bad idea. <laughs> I'm going to put that out there. <laughs> I do that every day. Like <laughs> All right, bad idea. Let's start again. <laughs> let's move on. Let's do we learn something from it. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, I want to come to you, Diane. This is a great question from Lara. Can you give some other examples of sound bites and how you get them adopted? Well, sure. So one is make IT simple. Not just simple for our users, but simple for us. Because the 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 simpler 
our work is, the more than we can invest in bringing great value to the business. So then how I make that work is in really challenging the teams when they bring solutions that are overly complicated. We'll go back to the tenant of make IT simple. Um, And I'm going to tie that to zero harm. So we already have a zero harm mantra from the safety, the H&S area in the company. So I have my teams um, adopt that in IT when it comes to automation and vulnerability management. We said zero touch, future focused. Ultimately, we want zero vulnerabilities, right? So it's then how do we design the people, processes, tools, mechanisms, reviews to actually make that happen? So I can say it, but then I have to work with the teams or empower them and trust them to deliver it. But that's where me talking about my why is what's important, especially since this is an I am new to the team, it's not a new team. I don't need to give them the what, give them the tagline and the why and have them do the what. We're talking a lot about trust and there's a question here from Alona. I hope I pronounced it right. Um, How do you determine if you can trust the person on your team? Are there specific qualities that you're looking for as you're hiring, as you're promoting? That's a a really important component. So I struggle with that. Shouldn't I trust every single person on my team? Trust should be something that is is table stakes. We should be trusting absolutely everybody in the organization. Okay, every now and then there is a person who who will violate compliance or ethics, and that is a, a, a bigger problem, right? Let's just acknowledge that sometimes that happens. We hire we hire great people, and if they're not delivering, if we're not developing them, I'm sorry, but that that's on me. So I believe we should inherently trust everybody in our organization if we're providing them the tools, if we're providing them our why, and and educating them on the strategy. Sorry, I jumped right over yeah. to me, but I felt passionate. No, no, no. I was going to answer exactly the same way you did because I felt like. It's it's a ground it's you know table stakes you absolutely have to I mean unless they prove you wrong that's a different element but you still have to give them chances regardless so otherwise why hire them why why are they part of your team you know I always say to people everybody on my organization we're all one team I got to be in the same bunker with you and the moment that I don't want to be in the bunker with you then that means maybe it's me because I'm the minority versus the cohort right it's it. it it, it, it's a community. So I, I totally am 150% alignment with what Diane said. Fantastic. A little provocative. I loved it. <laughs> okay. This is a question from Renee. Uh, innovation often goes hand in hand with prototyping and with testing, especially when trying to build a business case. Do you have any thoughts on what makes a great MVP, minimum viable product, and test approach? I think Diane's good with marketing and she's got all those good slogans and I'm going to leave this over to her. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> She'll help package it well. <laughs> We've got a great audience. I mean, these questions are tough. Keep so, them coming, folks. Yeah, it's, Let's not overthink 
the MVP, right? If you just go back to what agile is all about, let's carve off something that is small and achievable that we can learn from. Uh, so often I see that my teams, you know, past, present, and probably future, when they're defining an MVP, mm, it's really the whole not, thing. <laughs> yeah, it's the full thing. So when we talked about our definition of innovation, why don't we talk about what our definition of an MVP is and define success up front? I tell my teams the project charter is probably the most important deliverable we have in any project because it sets our expectations accordingly ahead of time. So don't 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 try too hard. Don't don't try to take on too much. You know, I I love it when people say, "Well, I have to create a business case." I'm like. A business case for innovation. If we create a business case for every single innovation, <laughs> we'd run out of money. You know, you got to pull the pool together just to know that you. Some you. I mean, if you think about how many innovations are being created, right? How many new ideas are being created a, a minute, and how many of those succeed? It's probably zero point zero zero one percent. So if we have to create a business case for every single one there would never be an idea, right? So, you know, back back to where you said, Diane, because it's like, sometimes we try to make it perfect. So we have that, you know, lovely muffin with toppings on there. I, I just want something with flour and put it, okay, I put too much salt this time, I'm going to throw it away, right? And next time we've got to have less vanilla in there. That's okay, because we've got that pocket of ideas, of generations, of, you know, thoughts that's going to help us redefine. And I think that's the way we have to think about innovation. If I were in my mid-career right now watching you two talk, I would be thinking, I want to work for them so badly because they empower and they trust. And I, I, they're going to define a North Star for us to follow, but we don't have to get perfect with anything as we're learning and trying and we can fail. Yet there are a lot of people in leadership who micromanage and they don't trust. And there's a great question here from Fadi. What is the best approach to get a micromanager and a perfectionist leader to trust his team or her team and get out of the weeds? I mean, this is somebody who needs to manage up, right? To help create an environment where they can thrive. That's a good question. I, you know, it's a great question. I, I wonder, I mean, sometimes I, I use an analogy to say that Everybody wants to do the right thing based on what they think is right, okay? Because um, no one's intentionally going to want to be micromanaged because it's miserable, right? Are they self-aware, right? And because if you don't know you're micromanaged, so as much as we give feedback, feedback goes both ways, right? I always tell my team, I'll give you feedback, but you give me what I'm not doing right. And so I, I go back to, to, you know, the person who's asking the questions, have you given them the feedback to say, you know, for my lens, or, or in some cases, data is, you know, you know, is paramount. From, from what we've all gathered, you may be, you know, you may be doing as a micromanager. And here are ex examples of what it is that is enabling us to, you know, describe you as such. And maybe, you know, how, how can we work together to enable you to kind of make that? Because if I'm not self-aware, I, I doubt that person is going to want to keep doing that. Or they've been, you know, so they're, they're different. I mean, for me, they're different situations, right? And then if they still don't, you know, I, I, 
And then it's about having seeking help, right? There's training, there's, you know, professional coaching. There's, there's a whole lot of things that their leaders can provide them through feedback. Feedback is important. It comes down to <clears throat> the, the dialogue. So that question can be answered from a top down or a bottom up. And sure, managing up is harder. But if you drive the conversation about outcomes, almost goes back to the project charter conversation to a, a leader. Help me understand the outcomes. What is your end game? And I, yeah, I can get there here, here, or here. Which way do you want me to go? And and chart out some of that path. So almost being more upfront, you may gain the trust from that person. But I'll tell you, I did something a little provocative earlier in my career because I had a micromanager. <laughs> Don't we all? We did not. It happens. It's we did not work more out more likely well. than not. Yep. I went to his peer for career management and said, I really would like some career advice on managing up. I'm going to give you some scenarios and would really like your input on how I can do this. Well, that conversation got an awful lot of legs. And let's just say I wound up coming out on top and, and, and my supervisor was eventually exited. <laughs> I'm sure there was a whole lot more to the story. Like I said, there was way younger in my career, but it goes back to asking for help, yeah. right? Just like with marriage counseling, you and a spouse or a partner may not be able to figure it out unless you have somebody with some other eyes. So yeah. sometimes you need help just with the conversation. You need to figure out who is the right person to give you the help. And if you're in an environment where you can't succeed, speak up speak up. There's a great question here from Amanda. You've spoken a lot about being willing to fail when innovating, um, but for a lot of employees, especially more junior, failure can feel like a big career risk. What are specific steps leaders and managers can take to cultivate a company environment that supports failure? I have a soundbite for that. Oh, of course you do. <laughs> Lay it on us. Sound I need bite. a book of Diane's sound bites. <laughs> What's the worst thing that can happen? Okay, the worst thing that can happen is I lose my job. You know what? I just made myself more marketable because I showed I was willing to take a risk and I added it to my professional development. And guess what? Somebody else will probably pay me more money and I'll be continuing to add. <laughs> That's the narrative. That's my narrative for failure. <laughs> And and you and you are very brave. I can't top that. That is amazing. <laughs> you are you are brave. I mean, we're all like, yes, that requires courage to do that. Um, there's a question here from Kinley that's that's a, a little bit of a shift, but I think an important place to shift too. Which I'm, we're talking to two CIOs, and she's wondering how do you facilitate an environment of collaboration with other disciplines in your company? I mean, Diane, you it's kind of like you work in marketing and sales as well, but, you know, and, and Fubi, like the, now tech and marketing and who the customer is and insights, it all goes hand in hand. How are you sharing knowledge, seeking knowledge, collaborating with really key players in other departments? Well, I, I, think, I think we sit in the center. 
Right. I think that's the advantage that we have in technology because I feel like we we have to be in the center because it we're kind of like the heartbeat, right? Um, and and that to me is where that element around stakeholder management and relationship and you know um, is important, right? Stakeholder management is the, probably the biggest thing one can help because <laughs> it can go wrong or it can go perfectly right. Because we have to be at the heart of it. And I think that's what I tell my organization is that you are the heart, right? You're the heartbeat of the organization because if anything goes on, you know how it all connects. You know how the veins all fit in together. Um, and so I think to, to, to a large extent, we're in an advantageous place, right? And we can either leverage it to the, our advantage of helping to help, you know, build the company to to the next level through innovation as a technology as an enabler. Or we can stifle ourselves and feel sorry for ourselves and go let it be done to us. Right. Um and I think that's you know it's a choice that you need to make. But we are the heartbeat. Um and we have to always recognize that. And it's a great place to be. Diane? I'm just gonna say stakeholder management is about time. <laughs> uh, honor <laughs> honor all of these other folks with your time, yeah. meet with them, listen to them. Honor your stakeholders with time. I think it's fantastic. And I'm watching the time because I promised we were going to end this on time. So that is a wrap on View from the C-Suite, Women Leaders in Conversation, episode number three. Dan and Fumbi, I am walking away with so much inspiration, with so many sound bites, with the idea to ask for help, to walk in other people's shoes. You have been such amazing guests. I'm so grateful that you've joined us. And I'm so grateful to the audience who's joined best Q&A we have had so far. Thank you. Thank you for contributing. Um, please join us for our next episode in June, a special episode with B. Perez, the Chief Sustainability Officer of Coca-Cola. And until then, take care. I will see you when the conversation continues. Thank you. To find out more about Wong Duty's work transforming businesses through human experience, go to wongduty.com. If you're a woman in the C-suite and would like to be a guest on this show, please reach out to me at womenleaders at wongduty.com.